This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to Baseball Outside the Box. Not sure what country you're in, but we want to thank you for joining the show. We are in over 100 countries where coaches, parents, and players are listening to the show, whether it be on ESPN Honolulu. Thank you very much for hosting us. Or BaseballOutsideTheBox.com. That's where the audio's at. Also, YouTube Live and Facebook Live at Peter Caliendo. Check it out. Um, if you got any comments, please let us know. Email me at caliendo19 at gmail.com. Again, welcome to the show, everybody, and we are thrilled that you will join us. You know, we took a break, pretty long break. We took actually two or three. Um, we were traveling. You know, we traveled to Mexico on the last show. We told you a little bit about it on the WBSC U23 World Championships. We're in Italy for the European Championships. Some great baseball, and it was fun getting out there. Um, now we're back home. We're ready to rock and roll with shows, and we're also watching the playoffs. Hopefully, you're all watching the playoffs. I'm thrilled. Houston, Atlanta. I think those are two excellent ball clubs. I think those are clubs that can pitch, they can hit, they can play defense, they can hit the ball over the place. It's going to be fun watching it. I believe it's going to go seven games just because they're that good, both of them, and it's going to be fun. Let's uh, hope uh, we'll have a show specifically just on the World Series. All right, man. Listen, uh, while we starting off with a bang, um, remember the show, what's it called? Baseball Outside the Box. Why? Because we want people to think outside the box when they're doing training. We want to question the status quo, right? We try to interview baseball's best coaching minds who love the challenge of status quo. That's kind of our motto. Well, we're going to really challenge the status quo because today we're going to talk about the batting tee. We've been using the batting tee, I don't know, for over 100 years. And, you know, when I started at Mickey Owen Baseball School, started as a player, as a, as, a, as a student, as a coach, director of baseball operations, I used the batting tee all the time. Used it up till about a couple of years ago. Always thought the batting tee was the thing that's going to fix my swing as a player, fix it as a coach for all my players. I, I had professional players using it. There's so many people using a batting tee. But let's find out if that's really good for players to use the batting tee. And at what age, how to use it. Is it? I mean, are we really making a mistake? And are we wasting time using the batting tee? So to, to figure this out, we're bringing a coach that's done his homework, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, then we'll get rocking and rolling. His name is Matt Helke. He's an active coach since 1992. What's interesting about him, he's not just a coach um, that's coached a lot of different teams, but he, he's a performance optimization mental game mentor. He's the founder of 360 Peak Performance. He's got his BS in psychology. He's a certified sports psychology coach, and here's the other best part about it. He's a certified biomechanics specialist, so he understands the movement of the body. We're talking about the brain also, because I'm sure it's the brain, the body, uh, everything that you know. we're going to be talking about, uh, the research that's been done here to kind of show us that maybe we are wasting our time with the batting tee. So let's not waste any time with the show. Let's get Matt on here and welcome him. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for asking, Pete. Good to be here. Well, let me tell you, it's a thrill because, you know, um, you know, as we connected online, we've never met before. We got a chance to talk, you know, a few days ago because I had some Internet issues and <laughs> I gave us a chance to catch up and now and, and then do the show now. And um, what, what I love about this is that, uh, you know, you've gone out in the limb 
you know, and talking about the batting tee. But before we talk about batting tee, tell the folks a little bit what you're doing right now, and then we'll get into the research and all that. Well, currently, like I said, years of uh, coaching, and it's just come down to the point I figure out I could help more players, not only with, um, you know, training individuals, uh, but also utilizing the website that I have for information out there. I want a better baseball and, quite frankly, make it easy access to find the information uh, out there to be able not only to find a college or school to go to or a summer program for collegiate players, but how to play the game itself and try to better themselves uh, in that way. Yeah, and folks, by the way, mention the website. Listen, you got to go to thebaseballobserver.com. We'll put it on the show notes. Uh, some great stuff on there. The articles are pretty long because there's a lot of research done behind them. So check it out. Again, thebaseballobserver.com. We'll have it on the show notes. You can, I, I encourage you to go there because, you, you know, not only are you going to hear a lot of great things on the interview, but you're also going to be able to see, you know, a lot of the research that was done and, a lot, and how Matt came down to this. And, and Matt, listen, uh, you know, the old, uh, I, I know with Moneyball, the old phrase sometimes, you know, and I know you have it on your website, He'll answer of why do you do it this way? Well, the, the answer has always been, but it's always been done that way. So that's why I do it this way. Well, that's right. kind of, we're throwing that in the garbage because we need to question a lot of things that we've done in the past. You and I have talked a little bit. Icing is one of those areas that already has kind of uh, fallen to that realm where, you know what, we're no longer icing. That's a whole nother right. story, right. folks. You want to check that out, go to the podcast. We've got two icing issues, but well, let's get right into it. Um, first of all, Talk about your thoughts on the batting tee, and then we'll get into a little bit more. Well, initially, I was like you. When I first started out, the batting tee was, and I want to use the word, the holy grail of, of training. Um, it was, as they say, you know, there's all these, and I have a list in the article, but things of, you know, if it's done right, it's the best thing you can do. You can get a lot of swings in. You know, it just seemed like a great tool because we got to teach the swing. And, you know, it got to the point where, we, I, I saw players making progress, but I was also taught every morning to wake up and question what you think you know, because there's always something there that can change your, it can be one little thing. And I think, again, they're the, one of my favorite um, statements is um, facts do not cease to exist just because they're ignored or not known. And, you know, with, with that in mind, it really started me questioning especially when videos first started coming out. And then I started, you know, back in the day, you start videoing. And I started seeing things and using the batting tee because I do go out when I train, I go out incognito. I watch my players, whoever I train, they don't know I'm at a game. And I video what they look like in a game because in practice is completely different a lot of times than game competition. So that was showing me what are they doing in a game that they're not actually doing and hitting off a tee. Um, and so as I got into that further, I started seeing some differences. And now with YouTube out, now I can really, you know, I've got some examples. You can see hitting off a tee, mechanics are different than hitting live pitching. Uh, there, there are, you know, some things are similar, but there's a lot of things different. And that started me to question of what's going on here. And, you know, it really comes down to hitting – is timing. I mean, was it Warren Spahn, you know, hitting his timing and pitching is disrupting that the, the batter, his timing. So timing, when it comes to hitting a ball, I would say I was, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of coaches are in the mindset. We were swing trainers, not hitting trainers. We were so focused on hitting and getting the mechanics and the timing. Well, that's, which is true. We have timing and mechanics, but we have to back it up. 
hitting is actually timing of the pitcher, timing of the pitch ball. Then it's getting the timing of your body parts, your mechanics in line with whatever that pitch is. And that pitch differentiates, which goes back. So our swing timing is predicated on the type of pitch is coming at us, which actually before that is what is the pitcher's arm slot? What's his characteristics? Does he give any tells? Things of this nature. So a lot of those things have to be assessed before we even know what we're doing mechanically. You know, I, hit, I, I kind ahead. of fall in, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of fall into that. I'm like, uh, I'm just going back as a player and all the years that I played, let's say up till college mm-hmm. and in college, I'm thinking, you know, I remember Ernie Banks one time because I was fortunate enough to work with him at, at a place called Grand Slam. He'd come in, you know, and, and work with guys. And and he always told me, man, you got one of the best swings I've ever seen. Yeah, that was great, but I couldn't hit. You know, um, my swing looked great. And here's here's my question on this. So so you started thinking, OK, I'm working with these guys on the batting tee a lot. And then I'm going to the games. Well, I'm not seeing the same swing. Um, does that mean that? If if I'm if I'm weak in an area, let's say down and away or down and in, everybody has weaknesses. If I sit there and put a ball on a tee and I work off of that, and I'm working on trying to keep the ball fair, and I and I do that for over a, you know weeks at a time, maybe a, maybe I do it as the old theory ten thousand times, right? Right. Get the body, uh, uh, the motion going correctly, so I don't have to think about it. Is that incorrect? Am I better off just because I'm wasting a lot of time? I'm just better off doing it off regular toss. Yeah, and there there's several reasons why. Uh, one of the first one is, um, as I go into it, you know, home plate first of all has what's called pentagonal volume. In other words, it's depth, it's width, and it's height. If you put it all together, that's volume. And um, I think it was the baseball think tank, and I went through and and it's pretty accurate. One pitch, say if it's a fastball, one pitch has a potential of 80 different spots to be a strike on that one pitch. Wow. So, and the reason being is if you move that ball, even a half a ball up or an inch up and you had the same swing, guess what? That's a pop out or a ground out or you you know what I mean? It's so if we're honing in on one spot, we erroneously think, oh, we're practicing to swing at that general location. Well, now let's say if that fastball, now somebody throws a curveball in that same spot. That's not 80 different pitches. That's now 160. So there's two because we have a different trajectory coming in. Wow. Different timing of it. So my body timing has to be different. The angle of the bat, whether, and I won't go into it, but your horizontal bat angle, your vertical bat angle, and your attack angle will be different. Even though that pitch ends up in the same exact location, it's not the same swing. So if, if you're honing and swinging down at that pitch, let's say low and outside pitch, and practicing it, you're practicing hitting a stationary ball at one spot. So that, what I mean, let me well, ask I mean, you, man, go real ahead. Quick. So we're talking about you're practicing one spot when there's a, with, with on your fastball could be 80 and your curveball could be 160. Or there's a slider or a change up, or if it's a lefty, now there's even more different. Th- so wow. practicing one spot, it, it's, it's difficult if it's stationary, because I, I put out this analogy. If a golfer, goes to his coach and they're practicing does the coach roll balls to him for him to hit no of course not when basketball players practice free throws or shooting do they move the basket no it stays in one spot so why do we believe and this is where my thought came from was why do we practice hitting a stationary ball in one spot when it never ever occurs in a live game it's a moving target 
So, I mean, it sounds simple, but it got me to really thinking of, all right, I need to get into a lot of the learning philosophy, how the brain works, how, you know, how we perceive things, the whole nine yards. And that's what started me into this. Is this batting tea? It started, I started thinking now, this isn't helping. You know, this is fascinating. I'm gonna, I want to get into the research, the brain and all that stuff. Before we do, I want to stay with the T as far as actually, because for young kids, you know, after a while, this is just, you know, without research, my, my thought process after being involved a lot in the game, I'm watching T-ball, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, after a while, you know, first of all, it's no fun because everybody thinks, well, T-ball, you just put the ball on there, it's easy to hit. Well, it's not that easy. Not for a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. Now, right. as many factors can be the bat weight, you know, to be, I mean, all kinds of things. Um, so in essence, we're starting off in the wrong spot playing T-ball also, because that's not really helping young kids understand that this ball can be in many different spots. Right. It's not really helping. Yeah. I mean, I've actually worked with, surprisingly enough, I had a neighbor and he was in T-ball and he was having a tough time. And I found out if I, Stayed there, and I did an underhand to him. Now I threw it easy, overhand to him, a wiffle ball. I got him to see that, and he turned around and was hitting off the tee better than doing it that direction because he was not thinking about mechanics. The tee, it's everything has to go together. Again, you have to combine. Even though the ball's on the tee for tee ball, mm-hmm. I found the player, and I know in our area now they do start with throwing it to him first, and then if they can't hit it, they go to the tee. Which I'm glad they do that. So you think, let me ask you, because I think it'll help coaches out there understand all this as we get into the, all the background behind this. If I'm, if we're going to start off with young kids, what's your best situation? If you had a league and you want to start off with young kids, maybe they're five, six, seven years old, kids that want to actually, you know, do something with baseball. Mm-hmm. When it comes to hitting, how would you, how would you start that? Would you start it by tossing the ball overhand, underhand? Um, and I know you, you know, we're going to get into soft toss, maybe not in this particular right. depending on how long our, our, our show goes um, but how would you start that what would be the best way you think well there are different levels of how people learn and again if you have if you've been playing baseball for more than two years you don't need a tee to be honest right. with you um, it, it's when they're that age they haven't had the ability to swing a bat they don't I mean there's a lot of unknowns they've not had the experience but to start off with you can throw it overhand more of a, from a dart like a dart standpoint I wouldn't Throw underhand. I mean, we saw the softball player that struck out pool Holst and everybody else because they're not used to where it comes from. So we got to get them used to seeing it kind of from the area. Again, they're brand new at this, but I would throw three or four, even if it's just wiffle balls or, you know, T-balls are obviously super soft and throw and get them used to just getting a swing and then move into a T if they haven't touched it and have them working off a T at that point. You know, I, I like that. And I'll tell you why, because even my thought process was, you know, we've got to start training young kids at a certain point, just like a game. So now you you mentioned, I think, you know, we know that in hitting, obviously, visually picking up the ball is critical. If you don't pick it up at the right time and we don't know the speed, the location, all that. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but it does relate a little bit to T-ball because if you're going to have T-ball, you know, even in T-ball, what do young kids do? They look at the ball and the T. Well, that's not where the ball's coming from either. Right. Maybe Maybe somebody should be like, faking a throw, you know, like a pitch. And that way they, they see that first and then maybe they hit the ball off the tee. Does that make any sense? Maybe yeah, there's different you- variants of however you want, however anybody want to do it, but it should come from the visualization out there of getting used to that uh, perception, uh, you know, because they've never done it before. 
But yeah, I mean, right. so, there are different so, variants. Ones could do it, but I wouldn't do it from underhand. I would do it overhand, or like I said, fake agreed. it and have them swing. But actually, you know, have them track it in, so to say. Yeah, no, no, and I agree. I think that's great. And I think again, they're not. We're not pitching from underhand, so why are we throwing underhand? Right. Um, but when now, so what we're saying is, when it comes to correcting a problem, um, and I say problem, a movement pattern, a movement, um, it, it's much better to do that with a moving object than it is with a ball on a tee. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of people of, you know, they want to isolate, you know, say, I want to isolate, they're doing whatever, you know, the first thing, and I got to regress a little bit because most of most hitting issues are timing issues. Uh, bottom line, most hitting issues are timing issues. And, and sometimes quite frankly, you just get beat by a good pitch. Yes, that happens also. So you know, and, and looking at this, people think you need to break it down. I'll go through a few of the things of live pitching versus what a T is. But even from learning science, it shows that the more uh, variable the approach is, and when multiple things are being practiced and mixed together, you have longer retention and quicker learning than if you do them in isolation. Mm. That's study after study after study. So when we use a batting tee, we're going against the studies that say, don't do that. That's not how we learn. Because, you know, if we can go into it, uh, you know, there's, there's six things I list in the article of, of what the hitting tee is. You know, well, first, live pitching is, and I'll, I'll go, I'll just dive into it so it'll explain a little bit better. Yep. You know, when you swing at a live pitch, it's what's called a, it's a dynamic interceptive motor skill. In other words, it involves your ability to synchronize your movements to the movements of a moving target. Okay. So uh, it involves temporal and, and um, uh, spatial things. So to be able to move that, you got to be able to time your movements to all these movements coming in. We go to a batting tee um, and a batting tee is not a dynamic motor skill. You have a ball, you have a target that's sitting there. You don't have to assess anything. There's no temporal, there's no um, spatial it's there. So, Live, okay, so we check that off. They're, they're Obviously, they're not the same. Um, batting tee or live pitch is an open skilled sport. In other words, the athlete, you have to coordinate, the athlete has to coordinate their own actions in accordance to movements of either an object or an opponent, okay? But in a batting tee, it's not an open skill. It's called a closed skill. So because it's predictable. The, you know, there it's performed in a predictable, unchanging environment, and the movements can be planned in advance. In an open skilled sport, it's not because you are being your movements are dictated by an external force. Before you can see what's happening externally, then you can do it. On a batting tee, it's there. You don't have to do any of that assessment. So you know that's again complex uh, interactive skill because there again you have to react to a bunch of different things in the environment to successfully complete whatever task you're doing and choose the right task. And, and about MT isn't. <laughs> am I right? So you're, you're using your brain and your body to kind of coordinate together to understand. Well, they have to, you know, they always say, uh, you know, gear up and gear up for the fastball, but adjust to the curveball. Hey folks, so, if you're on if you're on Facebook and you got questions for Matt, go ahead and type them in the comments section. I'll try to get to you. I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead, continue. Oh, so uh, you know that's again. I'll, I'll let you go ahead and ask the next question. That's uh, 
No, I, I think it's an interesting conversation because here we are. I'm watching. I got the TV on. I'm watching MLB Network. You know, and you look at Major League Baseball. Look at collegiate baseball. I mean, let's look at all the college, uh, all the teams around the country, not just the country, around the world. Now we have over 100 countries that listen to the show. You know, and a lot of them have been using the batting tee. Right. Um, so, so your message to them is just put that away completely, or are there times possibly that you could use it? And if you're going to use it, why would you use it? If you just talk about, you know, not using the tea. Yeah, I admit in the article, I mean, I, I do use it occasionally. Um, it's maybe for that athlete who is just not getting the kinesthetic feel. In other words, they're just not getting an understanding of what's going on. I'll pull it out and then we can go through it kind of slowly. And maybe I'll do it for five or six swings. Um, until I see they start getting it, and then I put it away. Um, you know, again, it's 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 player to player. Um, I I don't think I've used it in the past four or five months on some of the guys I've trained, uh, but there's one I come to mind that I did use because he was just having an issue with basically understanding it. It was a it's an advanced technique of how to hit the outside pitch, and he was again. I was showing him and he couldn't get it down. So when we slowed it down enough for him, after he did like four or five swings doing it, I put the tee away and he was fine. But he had the concept of what he had to do ahead of time with a live pitch. So, I mean, I think that helped, but then I put it away. And I, like I said, I use the batting team mainly for when I do pitching training than I do for hitting. So. Yeah. And tell the folks, you know, it's interesting because, you know, at one point you had to think, okay, you were thinking, you know, something's not right here because I'm using the T and then I'm, I'm going to practice games, watching your players at games. They're not quite doing the same swing, which I can relate to that. Cause now, as I think back, um, not just in my swing, but in, in players that I've seen. So right. talk about now the next step you had to figure out, okay, what's the right process of certain research. Talk about the research behind it and some of the research that you came up with and who, you know, who helped you with this. Uh, yeah, from a research standpoint, it just, I mean, it took me a while to write this because again, not only did I find research, I wanted to find other research that backed it up. It wasn't just one paper that said it and, oh, it's, that's what it is. Um, so, you know, it took several, several months of going to Google scholar, uh, talking to, I mean, I've spoke to, and when I found somebody and I like their article. The, the other thing is I just don't read the articles. And, and I suggest anybody who does research, um, once I read the article, and even though I read the discussions and what they did, I actually called up the, the head research person, whoever's listed, and found them. And I spoke to them to make sure what I was reading is what I'm interpreting and reading what they actually meant by it. Because some cases we can read and assume, and I didn't want to assume, uh, so... Most of these guys in, in the research articles that I spoke with, I spoke with most of them in one way, shape, or form, whether by email, but a lot of them were phone calls. These guys rather get phone calls on this, so they love to talk about it. I'll tell you that right now. Sure. So um, that's how I went through the, the research of backing up from a learning science standpoint, from biomechanics, um, things that are not philosophical, but have been time-tested because they've put it in scientific research. And how this is how your body works. It's some of this is physics. You, I mean, you can't argue with physics. Uh, well, you, they try to, but you know the whole point is, a lot of things we hear it sounds good, it's like oh yeah yeah yeah. As you mentioned earlier, the status quo. You know we've all believed it. You know the the point of Pujols does this or Gwen did this or you know we t we can rattle off all these guys who've used um, batting tees. But I bet you, you know what? There's tens of thousands who've used batting tees and have not succeeded. 
So you can't tell me because, because a lot of pros have great form. They have great technique. Some of them you look at and go, how in the world are they hitting the ball? They're hitting the ball well, despite of going against the proper quote unquote, proper techniques, you know, but again, it's really individual. The whole point is, you know, from a batting team standpoint and the research, I just wanted to really challenge and go into all those avenues and pick out and see what was truthful and what was not. And what could I substantiate? Because I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but I want to be able then to turn around and say, look here. And now I'm not trying to change anybody's mind by any stretch of the imagination. I want to put out other than the status quo to challenge what you believe and think and see it and then see what you want to put into practice, the whole thing, part of it, whatever. Um, but I want to have the information out there because it took me a while and you can't find this information in any one spot. And, and I, that's why I put it in one spot as much as possible. Yeah. And I encourage people again, folks go to um, the baseballobserver.com. Check out the article. It's going to take you a little time to read it, and it should because it's got a lot of great information. It's not just, you know, four paragraphs. We're talking about 30 some pages, I believe. Um, but and it's know, easy reading. It's easy reading. <laughs> well, no, I could tell you it's easy reading because if I could read it, anybody could read it. <laughs> as soon as you as soon as you came up with uh, I think it was Pentacamo. No, is that correct? Did I say that right? Pentagonal. It's yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you lost me there as soon as you brought that up. So um, I like the article much better because, you know, I'm a, I'm a simple person, man. I use simple words. Um, but he, here's what's interesting. Some of it, I believe there was, uh, the, not only was there research, we got research behind the brain and, and the physics, like you mentioned, but there's also some study groups that were done, right, with batting tees? Well, guys yeah, there was a case study. It was um, uh, it, at uh, Cal Poly Baseball. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, they kind of, not that they had the idea of, batting tee in mind, but they had one group that they threw 45 pitches to. They did this for, I think it was a six week six period. Weeks. Yep. And they did one group. They threw 45 pitches. The first 15, they would see curveballs in a row. The next 15, I think it was fastballs. And the last 15 were changeups. Mm -hmm. Then they had another group where they, they threw 45 pitches to that group, but all those pitches were intermingled. They didn't know if it was going to be a curveball, fastball or changeup. And they practice for six weeks that way. And at the end, and according to them, the, the, the one that had the varied, in other words, they didn't know what pitches were coming and they had to adjust to, they uh, displayed remarkably better hitting relative to the ones who were still hitting live pitches, but they knew what pitch was coming. So in other words, randomly done and, and you have to figure it out as it comes is, is easier to work. And that's a real life, you know, that's not, you know, Dr. Um, XYZ saying we did this in a controlled, you know, this is an actual on the field. We're going to, you know, do this. And, you know, it comes back again and you can apply that to the batting tee. The batting tee is, as I said, it's a single task. You're doing, you're, you're knowing that that's a fastball every time. It's a fastball there. They move the tee. Okay. It's a fastball every time. Yeah. It might help to a point, but in the long run, it, you're not going to get to the point and, and understand again, it's the timing of how you put these things together. So yeah, that was in that, uh, as in, I think it's in the book, um, Make it stick is where I, I have that book and, and had read and that was in there. So I thought that was pretty serendipitous as I was writing this. I was also reading that book at the time and that chapter came up. Interesting. And uh, and folks listening, think about it. Um, uh, first of all, my apologies to all the batting tee companies out there. You're going to have to figure out another way. But you know what? That's uh, evolution because, you know, we got to figure out what, Matt, we got to figure out as coaches, you know, we only have so much time. Right. We got to figure out the quickest way, the best way, the most efficient way to teach a difficult skill 
And, and if we could eliminate certain things that we've been doing, because I'll tell you what, folks and coaches out there, all my years, what are, I progressed, you know, I started off with the batting tee, you know, then I put the batting tee in different places. Then I would soft toss in, into those areas. You know, then I would throw certain, like, you know, uh, say five, like you were saying, five fastballs, five changes, five curveballs, just to get them used to it. Then I would start mixing it up. Right. Well, my goodness, how many, how long did that take me to do that with young kids? Um, it took me oh, a yeah. long time, obviously. Right. So now if I can now speed up the process because science is showing us, Hey, you don't need all that. You could actually go to overhand toss, you know, and I tell coaches with young kids, man, you know, when you got young kids, don't be standing up, you know, because you're six feet tall and your right. hands up, you got a kid that's real, you know, that the young kids go down on one knee and, and, and throw overhand. Um, but, but I mentioned all this, Matt, because you're, we're, you're helping the process, um, you know, to speed up the teaching process. So, I mean, I think this is a great benefit for coaches to understand this. Well, and that's in that part of it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, you know, I coach now, I volunteer my time. We I coach a, our high school coach put together their middle school. So we do their middle school. Um, I help coach their middle school team me and two other coaches. And, um, our, our, our uh, practices are different than anybody else's practices. Because, you know, you got to look at it this way, too. Um, it's really big. I always call it the, uh, the coaching contradiction when it comes to, to teaching. Is, you know, you think about it. When we're doing hitting instruction or if we're at practice and, and we're doing, you know, hitting, you know, we're, we're telling we're, – we got to get all these swings in. You know, get 10 swings, get 50 swings, get 100 swings. And, you know, it's swing, 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 swing. And then in turn, when we get to the game, we as coaches start saying, be patient, you know, be selective, get your pitch. Well, when have they learned to do that? Because in practice, guess what we've taught them to do? Swing, 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 swing. Yeah. You know, I mean, and on average, what is the MLB players, you know, I think it's they see approximately 16 pitches a game. And on top of that, they only swing about half of them. But we're telling our players to take 50 to 100 to 200 swings a day. So when they get to a game, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be hacking about everything that's out there. So I even have parents where I give my players homework sometimes, especially if they're younger. I mean, I do college players. I've done younger players and I've got parents say, I can't throw. I said, that's great. If you can only throw two of your 10 pitches in the strike zone for them to hit, guess what happens in a game? The same exact thing. They're teaching themselves discipline. You're not there. My point is this. It's not swing training. It's hitting training. And to hit, you don't swing it. You don't even swing at every pitch in the strike zone. So even for the parents out there who want to work with their children, say, I can't, I can't throw. Well, number one, I'm not a pitcher. I've gotten better over the years because I, you know, I throw a lot of, uh, you know, pitches to batters. But if you only throw 10, two of 10 pitches where it, it's where it's a legitimate strike for them to swing at, kudos, keep working on it. That's going to teach them ahead of everybody else at that age. If they're 10 years old and they only swing at two or of 10 or 15 pitches, and there's only two pitchers, the only two strikes you were able to throw, congratulations. You're now teaching your child, your player, how to play the game. You're not up there to swing at every pitch. You're there to hit the right pitch. All right, Matt, I'm going to throw something at you. It's outside of the box. And I say outside yeah. the box because it's not as relatable to what we're talking about when it comes to the actual T, but it is when kids are starting off. Let me ask you this, because I believe this. I've seen it work. Um, but just because I've seen it work doesn't necessarily mean it's really the best way. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll give you an example. We're taking a, a, for a real young kids, five-year-old, right? They're just starting off. 
all of a sudden we've got a real light bat with a bigger barrel. I mean, I'm, we're talking about a feather here. This is nothing. I mean, even, uh, even a five-year-old can hold this one-handed, and I've seen it. <laughs> but then we also take, let's say, a bigger ball. And now we combine the two, because when you're talking about the mental part and the swing, aren't we better off, like, maybe with our parents, you know, speak to our parents, because, you know, they're trying to help their kids. Maybe they're on one knee and they're just tossing the ball like this. Even if they're not doing the full motion, they're right. just tossing and letting kids hit a big ball with a big bat. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. especially at younger age, you've got a little more variance in what you want to deal with. Again, because they're coming from an area of they have really no concept. They don't have right. any movements that's similar to what, you know, it's so, you know, there's different things that you can implement uh, when it comes to, the, especially the young five, six, you know, little uh, uh, T-ballers that you can start implementing with them. And again, the bigger fat, like a big, we used to call them big barrels or big fat barrels. Yep. And, and those things, yeah, you can implement as long as it's a live, it's, it's a live pitch, you know, I right. mean, I, it, and it should be over, not under. And even if it's a, like I said, the dart and it's easy, just so they start getting familiar with number one, the perception where your eye level is, and then they can start again. But if it's a bigger ball to a bigger bat, they got to start somewhere. You know, the, yeah. the other thing I was thinking about coaches, you know, we just helped you out, not only speed up the process, but now you don't have to carry all these batting tees all over the place. We just eliminated some of the equipment. Not that we're trying to do that, but we eliminated it because we really don't need it. Um, you know, now we could concentrate on other things. And I know I wanted to stick with the tee and we've got about another, it looks like eight more minutes uh, but I think it'll lead into soft toss because we're going to do another show strictly on soft toss and some other things with the brain. We'll get into that part, the visual aspect. Um, but let me ask you, um, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a player, I, you know, average 13-year-old, 14-year-old, you know, 12-year-old, and I want to work on hitting, I don't have anybody to throw to me. Um, what do I do? Is there, is there something, you know, obviously you can go to a, a machine, I guess, and use a machine. Um, I used to love the machines, you know, the, the arm mics, the ones that iron the, mics. Yeah. The arm, you and I can relate to that. With a CMA. Yeah. What, what, what's your thought there with, with, if I'm by myself, I want to get better as a player. I don't have somebody else to help me out. I don't have somebody to throw to me for some reason, but I want to do something extra to be able to, you know, improve my, my hitting a little bit. What can I do there? Well, one of the things I found, um, and I just started doing it because I've never run into that. So that's a great question. I And honestly, I don't have an answer to you unless he can find a neighbor or a friend, a buddy to do that. The one thing I can remember is I did as a kid when I had no one to do that. Um, and I, part of my analysis and I show players is toss the ball up in the air and track and hit, even though it's not dropping, you can toss the ball in the air. And I did that myself. And quite true, when I run into some issues with players, What's funny is I'll give this as a tip, especially even older players. If they're having a problem with something, get a video, have them take a ball, toss in the air and swing. You're going to find out that their swing is more pure and more accurate than when they have to think about it. when they're just relaxing, tossing the ball and hitting. I've used that to a couple of players. And I said, and I compared their live swing to the tossing the ball in the air and swing. I go, look, you're staying back. You're, you're not leading with your elbow. Look how perfect this is. But when we're doing, I go, then I asked them, you know, well, what do you suppose that is? Or wh where do you think we can change? You know, I try to let them come about and come up with solutions themselves. Cause let's be honest in doing any training, I I'm not going to be a parent and just sit there mat, mat, and tell them and force feed. That's why I say I'm a mentor, not an instructor, an instructor. I think of a drill instructor, get down, you know, drop them, give me 10 and all this as a mentor. I'm in there with the players and 
do I have all the answers? I've learned some really cool tricks I use in training now from players that I never did. And I thought, oh my God, that is so cool. That is so, you know, I'm going to use that. Can I steal it from you? You know, those kind of things. But the point is, it becomes more meaningful to the player if they can figure it out themselves. I can tell them and say, all right, part of my thing is, and, and again, I'll kind of go into the other, what we're talking about with soft toss, about how to get on time with the pitcher. There's a technique that everybody does and no one talks about, and it's beautiful. And when I teach them this technique, all of a sudden, I don't tell them what to do. I said, I tell them what it is. It's called handbrake and ball release, and it's how to read the pitcher. Um, I'll tell you now, when the pitcher breaks his hands to remove the ball, that's when you load. When the pitcher releases, just at release point, that's when they start their stride forward. All the other antics, you've seen Cueto and all those guys do all that dancing, that's eye candy. A pitcher cannot change one thing in their timing and their delivery. And that's once they remove the ball from their glove and bring their hand overhand, that timing is almost identical every single – you cannot change that or they're going to balk. Okay, so as a batter, my tip is the first thing I teach any batter when I do live pitching, I'm not looking – even though I do video them, first thing I say is handbrake and ball release. They load when the ball comes out of their, my hand. When I go like so, I, and I act like a pitcher, and they move forward when I start – when I release. The problem is most people – don't load until the ball's out of the hand. You're too late. So Love what it. I watched is I don't tell them anything else. And you know what? Almost inevitably their body adjusts. Their stride changes. Some of them pick their leg up really high. Some don't. Some do something different. But I watch because mechanically what is right for them? I don't know. I mean, I can see them structurally and what should happen. But when they figure out, and I showed, I'd be honest with you, I was working with a 10-year-old the other day and we just started working with them did handbrake and bar release. And then I synced up week one and week two. And it just of his lower half. You couldn't tell it was the same guy hitting, but wow. because his timing was so perfect, but he picked his leg up high. He figured out the timing himself. I didn't have to say boo. And you're going to find out those things as we work up again, leading tower Pisa, you want to work on the foundation to straighten up. You don't work up here. Most of the things are timing. And most of them start with reading the picture and all the other things before your mechanics ever start. But he starts figuring it out himself. Yeah, That's yeah. when you know, because as a coach, I want you to be able to self-correct. I'm going to teach you everything that I know and put it in layman's terms, because when you're in a game, that's not time to practice. You're playing a game. How do you self-correct if something happens? You know, I've, got, I've seen players go, oh, and I can see them talking to themselves and they are self-correcting. That's when you know they're sinking in because they've come up with it themselves, not because I'm telling them they have to know it. I'll tell you what, that is some great stuff. And it's going to be a great segue into the next show that we're going to do, Matt, because that's a perfect way to start it off. But before we do, let me, yeah. one more thing before we end here, because as you were talking, um, I was thinking, you know, I want to bounce back to the T for a second. Sure. Because sure. during the T, there's a lot of different drills that people do with T's. And I'm just going to throw one at you and just say, does this make any sense? Because you're not really on, you really don't know what's happening. Uh, you don't know where the ball is going to end up, but you know, a lot of guys will start off. They've been doing it where they start off, like say anywhere near the tee and they take a step with the back foot anywhere. And then they hit off a tee and they take that step in different areas because then they're always in a different position, hitting a ball in a different spot. Does that make any sense? Or are we still, we're better off doing it with overhand toss, overhand toss. That, that's, at the timing, what, what people is, you're putting the cart before the horse. You're teaching this movement, but that movement's completely dictated on what's coming in. You know, if it's a fastball, curveball, where it's it. So 
it's something called Hicks law. I'm gonna have to get scientific, but it's easy to understand. The more things you have to figure out to do, the slower you are. Mm. The less things you have to figure out, the quicker you are. Batting tee, you're not figuring out anything, but there's the ball and I'm gonna swing. You're gonna be quick, you're gonna do things, you don't have to think about it, all right? But when you go to a live pitch, You've got, you have to understand the pitcher, right-handed, left-handed, where's he at? What pitch is coming when it's, you know, you don't see the ball until it's 10 feet out of the pitcher's hand because of your visual motor system is so delayed. The information we see as batters is old news. The ball's already moved past from what we see. So we don't see, so even at 60 feet, say the guy has a five foot, you know, uh, uh, stretch out and deliver. Now that ball is anywhere between 50 to 40, well, 55 to 50 feet away. And then it's 10 feet further than that before you see it. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of stuff to try to pick up and think about and, and react quick enough to get to. And until you start practicing it, you're not sitting, just watching off the team making swings. Oh, that's great. You're not syncing up anything. And again, eventually after years of doing it, you might get better at doing it. Even after a year of doing it, yeah, you'll probably get a little bit better of hitting that pitch inside, but you're only going to be about 20% of where you should be if you've learned to be able to learn and put those things together because you do not, the batting, hitting a ball does not work outside the environment. It's not isolated. The environment has everything to do with you hitting that ball. So we have to practice that in correlation, all of it together. Your body may, again, the pitcher's movement, the ball movement, and then syncing your body movements to that pitch. Outstanding. Matt, folks, this is going to be a great segue into hopefully maybe we'll look at next week. We'll follow up with the, you know, the part about we'll talk about the brain more as far as reading the pitch, the mental part of the game, or as far as hitting is concerned. And we'll get into the, you know, the overhand toss and we'll get into a lot more than that. And so as we end here, all right, you're watching the playoffs. We'll finish it off with this. You're watching the playoffs. You know, you got the Braves in Houston. You know, uh, one thing I noticed with the Braves in Houston, um, these guys can hit the ball off parts of the field. And the second thing I noticed is that when a pitcher adjusts to them, they kind of adjust back because you're starting to see more teams, especially these two clubs, hit away from the shift because they buy it. maybe the guy threw the wrong, you know, the pitch in the wrong location and they went with it, which, you know, a lot of people think, oh, they can't do that. They haven't been doing that. They love to pull the ball. But what are you seeing when it comes to that? Let's finish it off with that, with Houston and Atlanta. What are you seeing the hitters, some of the things they're doing? That was funny because I did write an article about the shift and and what about it and why it's working, why it shouldn't work and what the mentality. I, I think it's coming back full circle where batters are looking at it. I say, you know, the bottom line is as a hitter, your job is to put the ball in play. You know, number one, if I, as a batter, it's um, it's in the book of the art of war by Sung Tzu. He mm. says, you work and go at your opponent's weakness in layman's terms in this one section. So if they're going after you where you're, they think your weakness, you're always pulling the ball. Guess what you're going to do now? Can you always hit exactly? Well, we all know that's tough, but don't go up there hacking like I'm going for the fence all the time. They are adjusting their approach to hitting the ball. They're not going up and saying, I don't care if they're, I'm just going to hit the line drive over. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, yes, the pitch, everything, the way you hit is dictated on where the, the pitch you hit. 
In other words, whatever pitch you decide to hit actually dictates your swing and a lot of times where it goes. So they're choosing different avenues to hit the ball. Maybe if they are shifted, you know, say if you got a left-handed bat and they're all shifted over and you've got shortstops almost on or third baseman's playing, you know, almost second base themselves, you know, they understand I'm now going to focus or what I call hunting hunt pitches further outside where actually that's where I want to, you know, you go where the pitch is. That's going to allow me to go to the opposite side of the field better where the hole is. I'm seeing more thought process of being macho and I'm they pay me to hit home runs of now it's coming back of saying, you know what? They're paying me to get on base. They're paying me to hit the ball. And this is serious stuff. We're in the, you know, we're going for the ring. And yep. I'm seeing some smarter hitting, whether it's intentional or not. I don't, I'm not privy to that information. Right, right. But I've seen what I consider smarter hitting as I'm getting up of situational hitting of when they, again, they do the shift. Why do you hit where they're all at? You know, change your shot sights. You're, you're hitting, you crush the ball middle in. Well, he's going to be throwing you out, but you normally lay off those pitches. Well, you're going to start now honing on that pitch because now that's going to go opposite field more and away from the shift. I don't care if it's not a home run. If you get on base, let the next guy hit you in. And air, we can, we've seen all – it's baseball. My God, anything can happen. Absolutely. Hey, folks, tell me the next show is not going to be outstanding. Huh? This is kind of a little segue into show number two with Matt Helke and and – Matt, I can't thank you enough, man. This is a great way to end the show because I think it's a good lead into what we're going to be doing next because there's so so much information. Um, and I hope that all the folks out there understood the part about the batting tee. Go ahead and go to, again, the Observer, uh, excuse me, the baseballobserver.com. Check it out. Check the article out there one step at a time. Check it out. If you got any questions, you can get hold of Matt. We'll have all the information on the show notes. Matt, listen, I can't thank you enough, man. It's been fantastic. I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> I look forward to it. I appreciate you having me on. I thank you much. All right, everybody. That's Matt Helke. And listen, a special shout out. It's going to be tough for me to root. I'm not sure who I'm going to root for because we got Houston. We got Brett Strong, good friend of ours, who's the pitching coach. We got, you know, the Atlanta Braves. We got Ron Washington, who's also a good friend, who is a third base coach. Um, we want to wish them both the best luck. And of course, Chip Carey, he's outstanding. He always listens to the show and I really appreciate him. He's got such great knowledge of the game. You know, so it's real. I guess I'm going to be neutral. I'm just going to watch the game and hope, you know, the best team wins at that time. And uh, congratulations to everybody for being in the World Series. Uh, folks, I'm Pete Caliendo. This is Baseball Outside the Box. Don't forget, this is a show that loves to interview baseball's best coaching minds who love the challenge of status quo. Go to Baseball Outside the Box for the audio. Go to YouTube, Peter Caliendo. Also, Facebook, Peter Caliendo. You can check out ESPN Honolulu. That's where also the audio is. And always remember, stay healthy, be safe. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm.